So as I said at the beginning of the service, last uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus is with us to the end of the day, how Jesus is our accompanier and our friend and our savior and redeemer in all of the mess of our daily lives. And last week, we focused specifically on that time when life comes to an end, how Jesus is with us even in those moments and is preparing for us a place at his side at the final resurrection on the last day. And today, we talk about how Jesus is with us even at the end of creation, at the end of the world and the time when all things are restored. Today is the day we talk about the master plan, the big plan and what it is that God has had in store ever since creation and Adam and Eve's fall into sin. Today, we had a reading from Luke's Gospel that we often call a little apocalypse, a little revelation. It's only one chapter and a little bit extra. But Jesus has all sorts of symbols in here about this end of creation. Signs in the heavens, signs on earth, tumult, wars, all these things that are coming to pass and our own persecution. And with this little apocalypse, as well as all of the talk of what is happening in creation reveals in Scripture, is just how different God's plan is from what we would come up with on our own, with our own senses and our own reason. For example, if you are not part of what we call the Abrahamic face, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, that trace their origins back to God's revelation in the Old Testament. If you are from an Eastern tradition, Buddhism, Sikhism, or Hinduism, you think of creation as a giant wheel. It's a cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle. Hinduism is about a cycle of time, divisions and movements, periodic time frames, birth and death and rebirth and death again over and over and over again on a small scale in your lives and on a big scale when it comes to the universe. Even our physicists are still having a hard time struggling with cosmology and how to understand the universe. If you're like me and you follow scientific articles in the newspaper, You might see the stories that have been talking about this again, whether the universe is flat or open or closed or whether it's possible you could take off in a spaceship and after trillions of years of travel just end up back where you started if you had enough time to do that before the universe collapsed. You see, after the fall, after we got cut off from true knowledge of God and true knowledge of him as creator, we lost our sense of how the universe works. And so we fell back on our senses and started thinking about the universe as that giant wheel. Whatever goes around comes around. Everything's come full circle, we say. We're back to where we started, back to square one, over and over and over again. I came across this quote doing a little bit of research for this sermon from a Christian astronomer who says, I have great difficulty convincing my astronomy students, who by and large are from the West and grown up in a Christian environment, that from an observational point of view, cyclical time, a great wheel over and over again, makes much more sense than linear time, things having a beginning and an end. 
I asked them to place themselves in the ancient world with no clocks, no telescopes, no computers, but only their senses to guide them, and imagine what they would be capable of understanding about time. The days would be marked by the daily motions of the sun and other celestial objects rising and setting in the sky. The months would be marked by repeated phases of the moon, and the years would be marked by the reappearance of certain constellations in the sky. Other cycles in nature, she wrote, such as the seasons, tides, menstrual cycles, birth, life, death, the rise and fall of dynasties and civilizations would dominate ancient life. It should therefore be no surprise that the religion and worldview of many cultures were based on a belief in cyclical time. And then she lists them. The Babylonians, ancient Chinese Buddhists, ancient Greeks and Romans, Native Americans, Aztecs, Mayans, and even some of our Northern European ancestors, the Old Norse religions. Then you get the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you read the original Hebrew, the first thing that God says in the Bible is, light be and light was. And God moves on from there. Things that did not exist suddenly come into existence. And as you read through Scripture, you also start to see that while there was a beginning for all things, there will also be an end. And therefore, there is progress. Things can get better or worse, and the better or worse matters. Because in a cycle, nothing matters. It's better today, it might get worse tomorrow. You just go round and round and round, and there is truly nothing new under the sun. But if there is a beginning and an end, then what happens in the middle is of significance. Eternally so, in the words of God. What will, then, since we know about the beginning from Genesis, the end be like? Well, there are two ways of looking at the end in Scripture. One is as the time of recreation, a rebirth and rebeginning of the world that has now fallen into sin and bears the effects of it. But secondly, what seems to be even more important in Scripture is that at that end time will be a point of judgment. Isaiah chapter 13, the prophet records, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Isaiah says it will be cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation, and God will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light, and thus I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. Daniel chapter 12, Daniel records that at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep and the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
time of judgment where God brings reconciliation to the world. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew's Gospel. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. But more than just a time of judgment, the end, this finishing of this fallen creation will also be a time of re-creation. And we have glimpses and images of that throughout the Bible. Again, from Isaiah, and we often hear this passage at Christmas time, we hear that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then in Second Peter, where Peter says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. A destruction, yes, at the end. One that brings judgment, yes, at the end, to those who are sinners. But for those who have been found in Christ, a recreation. A picture of the world as it was meant to be from the very beginning. Where we can go out and play with the lion and the leopard and not fear them anymore, but have them like pets. For those of you who like cats, you can have as big a cat as you want. That is a beautiful picture of why we look forward to an end. Meantime, though, we have Jesus. In our gospel reading for this morning, where he comes along and says, yes, we have revealed to you, my Father and by the Spirit, myself, that there has been a beginning to time and an end, and that that end will bring judgment and recreation. But in the meantime, how should we live our lives? How do we deal with this in-between, this time that matters, well long after the beginning, but it could yet be a long time before the end? Now, the disciples who are listening to Jesus probably hope that Jesus would say, don't worry, from now on, everything's only going to get better. Everything's going to come up roses. You don't have to worry about all of this terrible stuff anymore. And yet, that's exactly the opposite of what he says. In fact, things will not get better, especially if you're a Christian. Things will probably get much worse especially if you're a Christian. And so Jesus gives us three significant warnings of how to live our lives as we wait for the end. The first is, see that you are not led astray. Which implies what, dear brothers and sisters in Christ? This is a possibility. There will be forces in the world, people in the world, ideas in the world, introduced into the world through our own sinful condition and through Satan himself that will strive to lead you astray, that will pull you away from Jesus and trust in him for your forgiveness 
and reconciliation with God. Many will come in Jesus' name. Literally, we know these people. I'm the Messiah. I'm Jesus come back to the earth. But also, and even more dangerously, figuratively, who say they come to bring a better salvation and a better redemption than Jesus. Test them against Christ's word. Test me against Christ's word. Test any church or pastor against Christ's word. Why is it that I come and try and do visitation with new people to the church? Why do we give them small catechisms? Why do we talk about the commandments and the creed and baptism and the Lord's Supper? So that you know and can test what you are hearing from me and the other pastors at Ascension. To be, like the book of Acts says, Bereans. To test these things to see if they are in fact so. The second warning Jesus gives is to not be terrified. Don't be scared. I have all sorts of people that come up to me and say, Pastor, surely Jesus is coming soon. Like, it can't possibly get any worse than this, can it? Look at the wars happening around the world. Look at the persecutions of Christians around the world. Look at what's happening even at home with the disparity in families, injustice, conflict. Surely, surely this is the end. And yet do you know that there are people that are going around right now saying that the world has never been in better shape than it is today? Stephen Pink was in Montreal just a few months ago saying exactly that. This is the best we've ever had it. It all depends on your perspective. Certainly, if you're a Christian, it does not seem to be the best time. But no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, Jesus still says the same thing. Keep calm. Do not be terrified. Now, why can Jesus say that? Because of what we've heard the last two Sundays. He is with us at the end of the day. He is with us at the end of our life. Will he not also be with us at the end of the world. And thirdly, Jesus says, when these times come, they will be opportunities. Opportunities for witness. For us to demonstrate, as I said in Bible class this morning, by our patient endurance, that Christ is Lord and King and Savior of our lives. And therefore, we are not terrified or led astray. Some of you know that I used to be a huge fan of The Simpsons. Apparently it's still on the air. But now I'm a dad, I've got kids, it's been a long time since I've ever watched any of the episodes. In a very early episode, Lisa, one of the young daughters, comes to Homer and says, Dad, I really don't think you should be worried about this situation. You know, in fact, that the Chinese have one word that means both crisis and opportunity. I don't know if that's true. But I do know Homer's response to Lisa, which was, that's right, Christertunity. This is what Jesus says about the worst of circumstances. When they come upon us, we are tempted to look at them and say, this is just terrible. What's happening to our church? What's happening to our city? What's happening to our culture? What are we going to do? This is the worst of times. And yet Jesus comes and says, no, this is an opportunity for witness. 
every circumstance we find ourselves in as the people of God, those redeemed by Christ, those washed in the waters of baptism, is an opportunity for us to demonstrate our faith and trust in Christ. That at the end of the day, he is the one who redeems us. He is our Lord, and he will be with us, and he can be with you as well. Every time the church has faced persecution, it has grown because of the faithful witness of Christians who have said, you cannot lead me astray or terrify me because Christ is my Lord and Master. So Jesus reminds us that he will indeed be with us even until the end. Settle it therefore in your minds, Jesus says to you and to me, dear brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. may not always seem that way. may seem like when you've had that opportunity to talk about your Christian faith with a neighbor, that you look back on it and say, boy, I really blew it. Boy, that was my big chance. And it just didn't come out the way I would have liked it to. Maybe not the way you would have liked it to. But for those of us in God's word, it did come out the way Jesus wanted it to. God who spoke the word in the beginning, let there be light, will always be with you to put that word in your ear, on your heart, and in your mouth, even to the end. And at the end, Jesus says, not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Seems like an odd promise, those of us who are getting a little bit older and losing our hair. And yet, what is Jesus saying by this? But that God who made the world in the beginning will surely not forget any part of you in the end including all the hairs that were there when you were born and that have fallen out of your head since. And then lastly, where Jesus says, when these things begin to take place, and here is the last great promise, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Don't put your head in the sand. Don't panic. Don't batten down the hatches. Don't be moping around with your eyes down on the ice and the snow and the salt and everything else that's going to be down on the ground making our city so absolutely dirty and filthy that nobody will want to come here in April. Wait till May when we clean everything up and make it look nice. No, Jesus says, look up. Get excited. Because no matter how bad things look to be, no matter how much it looks like everything is falling apart, your Lord and Master is with you until the end. And that is good news, not bad. In fact, it is the best news of all that no matter what will come to pass, you and I during our days or our lives or even in the world, Jesus is ours. And he will not let us go. No matter how bad things get at the end of the day, at the end of our life, or at the end of the world, Jesus remains faithful. 
and it just means that our redemption is one day nearer. And so we pray one last time in this season. Abide with us, Lord, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. Abide with us and with your whole church. Abide with us at the end of the day, at the end of our life, at the end of the world. Abide with us with your grace and goodness, with your holy word and sacrament, with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the night of affliction and temptation comes upon us, the night of fear and despair, the night when death draws near. Abide with us and with all the faithful, now and forever. And God's people said,